As a young man in high school especially, I enjoyed summiting some of Colorado's 14,000 foot peaks. And uh, at times, if I couldn't quite make it to a 14,000 14, footer in Colorado, I would settle for cliff faces in New Mexico that weren't quite as spectacular or amazing, but anywhere from 50 to 100 feet high doing some free climbing. Something that I enjoyed, and I would have to say that one of my highlights came as I believe I was a junior in college where I had the opportunity of going to Yosemite National Park in uh, California and hiking Half Dome, which is an absolutely incredible hike. And I've done it twice, uh, but there is, you get to uh, Yosemite National Park as the, uh, the park opens up before you. It, it is just phenomenal to see different waterfalls of water cascading hundreds and even thousands of feet from up above down into the valley floor below and then to see um, some iconic scenes. El Capitan, maybe you're familiar with that. That's the uh, granite face over 3,000 feet tall. Uh, if you've ever seen pictures of Yosemite, which you may not be able to picture it right now, but if you've, if you've seen it, uh, you would certainly recognize that as one of the features of that national park. And then Half Dome, the uh, granite rock, it's sloped on one side and just a straight drop on the other side, nearly 2,000 feet. And uh, summiting that was kind of a, a, a highlight of my uh, younger life as I uh, enjoyed doing climbing and, and things of that nature. And I, I still enjoy those things, just haven't been able to find in El Capitan around here. So uh, I'll keep looking, and if I, if I find something, I, I will let you know, certainly. How many have actually been to Yosemite National Park in California and know what I'm talking about? All right, if you haven't been, put it on a bucket list and uh, get there someday. It, it is worth going to. And uh, if, you, if you're going to Colorado, uh, California, uh, you might as well hit Sequoia National Park and some of the other parks that are there as well. It would be worth the trip out. Well, in 1982, not in Yosemite, but actually in a park near there in the Sierra Nevadas, the John Muir National Park, uh, or actually John Muir Wilderness Area, two men were climbing. And in this particular wilderness area, you have to get off the beaten path and head kind of cross country into the interior to get to the final destination. Most of the mountains that I summited as a high school student and in my teenage years actually had pretty well-defined paths that you would follow and, and, and you know you were, you were there with a group of 100 other people or so when you got to the top. But on this particular day in August of 1982, Mark Wellman and Peter Ezinger summited uh, the Seven Gables Summit in the John Muir Wilderness area on their own and part of the trail that got them there was parking at the, basically at the end of the road, the trailhead, but the fact that there's not really a trail, it's just a parking spot, and, and you would head out into the interior from there. And uh, it was a 20 mile hike to, from the point that they dropped their vehicle to where they set up base camp. And I believe they were able to do most of that in the process of one day. They had their base camp set up, and the following morning would be the actual time that they would plan to summit the face of the Seven Gables um, summit there in uh, the John Muir Wilderness area. And as they got up on that day, they, they made their way into the uh, wilderness area, 
doing the final approach, and as you, you come to the Seven Gables, you've got some of the path that you're able to just walk up, but in the final ascent, you're doing a free climb, and it's several hundred feet up that they're doing to get to the very top. Now, when you get to the top, there's a canister, and in that canister are little slips of paper that you're expected to sign your name, indicating that you've been there. And on this day, Mark Wellman, Peter Ezinger, both signed their names and were ecstatic to be at this point. Mark was 22 years old and uh, enjoying life. He was a, a free climber and enjoyed not only climbing here in the States, but also abroad. He did several things in Europe and other places, and so it was, it was a moment for him be able to, to reach that summit and leave his name there in that canister. Well, as they were kind of enjoying the moment that they had, they realized that they didn't hurry off the mountain. They were going to end up um, running into the challenges of night on a free climb, which uh, that's not a good scenario to find yourself in. So they began their descent rather quickly, and it wasn't too long after they had begun their descent that Mark Wellman slipped on some gravel, lost his handhold, and ended up sliding on that face for over 100 feet. He slid and tumbled and ultimately came to a stop about 100 feet below, uh, but unable to move, lying there waiting for his friend Peter to reach him. Peter did his best to get to him as quickly as he could. When he got there, he realized that his friend was still alive but not able to move. So he left him with a security blanket and an extra coat there, even in August on the mountain face. Um, night will get very cold. And uh, Peter had to race against the clock. This was just in case you're wondering, back before cell phones, 1982. It's not that you could just call, hey, I need uh, an extraction from this location on this on this mountainside, this would almost be back in the era where smoke signals were kind of the thing that you would do, all right? So it goes back a little ways. But uh, Peter realized if he was going to save the life of his friend, he would need to cover not only the rest of that descent off the mountain, get to base camp, and then the 20 miles back to their vehicle, and then from there, the drive to the nearest phone or the nearest opportunity to, to connect with uh, medical personnel. He left his friend on the mountain for over 24 hours. 24 hours later, Mark, lying there, unable to move, in the beginning stages of hypothermia, certainly in shock, just with all that his body had been through, heard the unmistakable drone of a helicopter coming and uh, realized, all right, I'm going to be rescued. Unfortunately, the helicopter crew that was first to, to get out of, the, um, out of the base thought they were actually going to be picking up a body. They were not expecting to be doing a rescue. And so they didn't have the equipment or the materials that they needed to actually get an injured man off the mountain. So they circled twice and then left him. So you can imagine the uh, devastation of this guy thinking, what in the world? And uh, about an hour later, a medical evacuation team and a helicopter did arrive and they were able to get him from the mountain and down. He ended up breaking uh, several, uh, many bones, but the, the key bones that fractured were his vertebrae, T11, T12, right at the base of his, um, kind of in the mid-back, mid the base of your rib cage, uh, fractured those, and he became a paraplegic. Took the better part of a year of rehab and uh, work in just the medical field to get him back up to where he would be able to be released from the hospital. 
And certainly, as he realized that prognosis from the doctor, he thought there's absolutely no way that uh, my life is going to be the same again. And he had those, those thoughts that he was wrestling with of, do I, do I just give up on life? What, what is my future going to look like? And it just happened that down the hall from him was a quad, quadriplegic by the name of Mark Sutherland, who actually didn't have access of either his legs or his arms. Uh, he had some movement in his fingers, and actually Mark Sutherland was in the hospital uh, because there was a bone spur that was growing in the area of the injury in his back that was possibly going to cause him to lose all movement whatsoever. But Mark Sutherland, who had been a quadriplegic for over 10 years, more than a decade, actually looked at Mark Wellman, a 22-year-old man, and said, you know, your life has certainly changed, but you still have a lot of life to live. And you don't have to be defined by your accident. You can overcome. You can live a life without limits. And that's kind of a phrase that he took to, to be his own life without limits. And uh, as Mark Wellman left the hospital, he left with the challenge from that friend, Mark Sutherland. You know, I can, I can go on. I don't have to let this get me down or define who I will become. And he went on to become a park ranger, and he worked in Yosemite National Park for several decades. But about seven years after his accident in 1982, he met, actually it wasn't quite seven years, but he, he did meet a man by the name of Mark, Mike Corbett, who himself was a climber. And Mike climbed El Capitan, that granite monolith that I described at the beginning, that iconic picture of Yosemite National Park. He had climbed that several times. And at one point, as he, as a climber, is interacting with Mark, the park ranger, the idea came to both of these men that it would be really remarkable if Mark Wellman, paraplegic, could summit, could climb El Capitan. And they worked for the better part of two years to develop a climbing system and the equipment that would be necessary for this man to climb. And they, they mapped out a face that would actually be the most vertical face on the whole thing because he would have to do all of his climbing with his upper body strength with his, his legs really just dangling as dead weight. And uh, they worked out a way that, okay, here's the path that we can take, and here is the, the course that we can, we can lay out before us. And with the encouragement of his friend, Mike, the, the friend is Mike, Mark said, yeah, let's do it. And over the course of a week in 1989, they climbed together. And Mark became the first paraplegic to summit El Cap. And it's remarkable what the encouragement of a friend did for Mark. And as uh, we consider just that feat, it really was a, a national sensation. There were news uh, broadcasters. Tom Brokaw was there at the top of El Capitan. He, he drove there. <laughs> but uh, he, he, he was there at the top. When, when the men summited, and uh, they, they just, you know, published it. And wow, what, what an amazing reality, how this man, and, and to put it into a little bit of context for you, whenever you, you summit, it doesn't, you, there, there are several paths up El Capitan. It's 3,000 feet from, from the bottom to the top. When you stand at some distance from the base of the actual climb, which I have been there twice, and, and I've looked up, it really is phenomenal to see the uh, people climbing that, that rock face. They're just little dots. You can hardly see them with, with the naked eye. Um, the, the distance from the, the road up and then just the height 
Um, but with the binoculars, you can see, and, and, and you see, uh, they actually carry their beds with them because it, it's a multi-day excursion, and, and you just sleep there on the side of the, uh, the cliff. Uh, really, something remarkable. You might want to throw that one on your bucket list, too. But anyways, um, they, they made it to the top, and as they accomplished that, Mike helped his friend Mark realize a vision. As we look at their amazing accomplishment, and really it is an amazing accomplishment, let us understand that we have a goal far greater for us before us than just climbing, as remarkable as it is, this 3,000-foot cliff, which if you understand the, the physics of what it would mean to climb that cliff with just upper body strength, he had to do 7,000, the equivalent of 7,000 pull-ups to get the, the distance over the course of those six days that it took him to climb it. So really, remarkable. But you know, in our Christian lives, there's something much more remarkable and something much greater than even that human accomplishment that we are all called to on a daily basis. We are called to be true friends, to encourage one another in our spiritual walk. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40 is going to be our, our starting point. This is going to be more of a topical message than otherwise we'll be turning a number of places. But in Matthew chapter 22, verse number 36, Jesus responds to the question of a Pharisee who happened to be a lawyer who asked him a question, tempting him and saying, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The second commandment, fulfilling its mandate, through true friendship is the title, the second commandment, fulfilling its mandate through true friendship. And this morning, I want you to answer that question, am I a true friend? Am I someone that can be counted on to encourage, to edify, to uplift, to hold accountable, to see others through to the victory that God has for them in their lives? Lord, would you bless these thoughts that you've given to me and the burden that you've placed upon my heart? And would you take the truth of um, what it is to be a true friend and really help each one of us to uh, embrace that reality and to be the friends that you would want us to be. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So often, college pressures can reduce us to little more than barges passing in the thick of night. You have your course, I have my course, and we pass each other with little more than a, an acknowledgement in our way as we go about our business. And I understand you may be more socially out there than others, and if you're a social butterfly, you know, you've got to have people connection. But, but getting to the core of what it means to be a true friend and to really get down to that bearing one another's burdens, to get your hands dirty and get into the nitty-gritty of fulfilling this great commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and the second like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Have you thought about that lately? Do you truly love your neighbor as yourself? 
you know, the fact is, I think back to my own college days, and I, and I think of how there were times so often where in the busyness and, and the pressures of everything that was going and just in the scramble to get it all done, I assumed the mentality, don't bother me. Can't you see I'm training to minister at Baptist College of Ministry? And so often we can get into that spot where we're, we're looking at an end of, well, I'm training for ministry. So let me stay focused on what it is I'm supposed to be doing. But really, we're missing opportunities right around us. And if we are going to fulfill this second commandment, we must prove ourselves a true friend. We're going to look at several marks of true friendship. And I believe that the burden for this message really is developed in part through the conference that we have next week. I know we've been looking in a variety of contexts, both on Sunday as well as in, in our small group meetings, and if you're part of a conquer group, um, I know uh, some on the seminary level are involved in the conquer groups and, and, and different opportunities for accountability and just opening up. But as God is doing a work of going deeper and bringing masks off and, and bringing walls down and helping us to see ourselves for what we really are in need of God's grace, and uh, especially the last two Sunday nights, as pastor has dealt with the masks that are so easily put on, and we just assume everything's okay, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm doing all right. But when those masks come off, do you know what happens? Needs are revealed. And in order for needs to be met, there have to be those who are going to come alongside and say, yeah, I want to help bear your burden. But you know, not only do we need to be willing to bear others' burdens, we need to be willing to let others bear our burdens. And in the mutual relationship of being a friend, bearing one another's burdens, loving and, yes, being loved. But right here, it's not so much a question of, can you go find a true friend, as it is, will you be a true friend? And as we look at the conference next week, the reality is there are going to be opportunities for ministry both to one another here, but also to others who are going to be coming. And I want to encourage you, in the context of the truth presented, to be a true friend, somebody who is willing to sacrifice, to give of yourself, to meet the needs of others. That is going to require accountability, that's going to require sacrifice, that's going to require giving of yourself. But how worthwhile it is. Pro, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24, we're familiar with Hebrews 10, 25. We often refer to that as you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. You need to be involved in church. And often in counseling and talking with a new believer, I'll, I'll reference that. But what is verse 24? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let us consider one another. That idea of consider is to look for the opportunity to encourage love and good works. To be going about your day, not so much focused on here are my to-dos and these are the things that I need to accomplish as it is, Lord, what do you want me to do and how can I accomplish your plan today? And is there somebody that I can minister to? Is there somebody that I can allow my life to show your love to? And by your grace, minister from me to them. Hebrews 13 verse 1, let brotherly love continue. And that's not just in the context of brothers and sisters, but in the context of this group right here, let brotherly love continue. We see the command to love one another, to provoke unto love and to good works, to be allowing our lives to impact others, understanding that ministry is not about me. 
And yes, you're in college and you're needing to train for you. Yes, you're needing to be trained. But don't forget, you're not receiving that training for you. And so both in the end goal, but also in the process, how can you fulfill these commandments and minister to others around you? Ministry is truly about God and others. Friendship takes time, it takes energy, resources, but to love your brother is a command, and it takes more than a simple, I love you. So, you know, we can look at this greatest commandment and the second like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and say, all right, I'll fulfill that commandment. You know what? I love you, brother. You know, we kind of slap our our, uh, roommate on the back and say, love you, man, And, and we go about our life, but do we actually live out what it is to show true love to him, to show sacrificial service? that one as God would have us to. Barnabas, often quoted as an example in the realm of friendship, certainly knew what it was to show that. The apostle Paul, before he became the apostle that he was, was known as Saul. He breathed out threatenings. He stood there as he watched Stephen to be stoned to death for preaching the gospel, and then he went to Damascus, and there we know on the road to Damascus, he was miraculously (coughs) brought to Christ. Um, realized that he couldn't kick against the pricks any longer, and he, he was gloriously saved. And uh, then he's taken to Damascus. He rece- his sight is restored to him. But the church at large is saying, wait a minute, who is we know who you are. Um, you're Saul. You, you persecuted us. You, you killed us. You put us in prison. And Barnabas came alongside of Paul and said, you know what? This is, Paul, this is Saul, and God has done a work in his life. And you, you see... Barnabas interacting in Paul's life early on in his saved life, in his walk with the Lord. And then later, down the road, you see that it is the, um, the church setting aside Barnabas and Paul to go into ministry. And we find in Barnabas, simply by illustration form, one who believed in Paul, one who worked with Paul, one who encouraged Paul, and one who ultimately saw Paul launch out to become that one who arguably went well beyond what Barnabas ever did. But yet there was a confidence and there was a security that Barnabas had in knowing that he had been used of God to bring Paul to the point that he was at and he was ready to launch him on. But Barnabas, by inference, was one who knew how to encourage, he knew how to come alongside of, he knew how to develop and mentor others. And that is exactly what he did and that is exactly what you and I need to be as we see others around us, like a Saul, who need to become a Paul, that we can minister to and to pour our lives into them, realizing it's not about us, it's about God's plan. And in Acts chapter 9, God tells, uh, in speaking to, uh, let me just turn there briefly here so I get the characters right. But as, Ananias is told to go and to anoint the eyes of Saul, and to open him, and to open them. Um, Ananias is told, Paul is a, chosen, is a chosen vessel. He is going to do great things for me. I have appointed him to stand before kings, to go to the Gentiles, to even receive persecution for my name. And God had a plan for Saul, who became Paul. And there was a man by the name of Barnabas who came alongside and got involved in that plan. Who is it that God wants you to be involved with? Whose life has God given a vision to you for and to whom will you labor? And I realize that many of you have gotten involved with the high school, and I appreciate that. Others of you are involved with lives in the church or in elementary or in other outreach. 
But let's not forget that God wants us to minister also right here to one another. What are some of these marks of a true friend? And to whom will you be that true friend? Number one, John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Mark number one, a true friend is selfless. A true friend is selfless. That means he is willing to sacrifice. He gives of himself. I appreciate Reformers Unanimous and the work that Steve Currington did to take the fruits of the Spirit and to define what they are and, conversely, what they aren't. You know, it's easy for us to have a love that wants something back. But Steve Currington said, you know, anybody's good flesh can do that. I love you, now what do I get in return? But true spirit-filled love doesn't ask, what do I get in return? It says, how can I serve you without any thought of return? And that's the kind of love that we need to have. So a true friend is selfless where you're not going to be saying, okay, I can, I can give a little bit here, but I'm expecting a little bit there. And how often is our, are our well-intended acts of service or acts of love accompanied with a little sense of, okay, I'm going to expect this back from you. No, somebody who is a true friend is going to, to give of himself selflessly, without any expectation, without any thought of what do I get back from you for what I gave to you. It is selfless. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, I don't think any one of us here are going to be called to put your life literally on the line for the person seated next to you anytime soon. But you know, the Apostle Paul says, I die daily. He says, I take up my cross daily. And if we were to take that figurative illustration and, and put it into daily context, if you're going to be willing to give of your life literally, you need to be willing to give of your life definitely on a daily basis where you're laying down your will, your desire, your needs, that you might benefit the needs of another. Proverbs 18.24, a, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That man that hath friends must show himself friendly. He's selfless. He's sacrificial. He gives. You know, maybe you've seen people who kind of lack the quality of friendliness, uh, that warmth. Allow God to develop in your life that warmth, that friendliness, that, that approachability, that acceptance, where, where it's not a matter of, yeah, I'll be your friend, but you've got you've to meet my stand. No. True friendship gives. It doesn't take. It's available. It's accepting. It's friendly. It's selfless. Mark number two, as we consider our friends, a true friend is not only selfless, but he is also honest. Proverbs 27, and we're going to be doing most of our final assessment of a true friend in Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A true friend is going to be honest. Let me illustrate this characteristic 
by looking at the life of David and the life of his son, Amnon. You're familiar with the incident where David chose not to go to battle when kings go forth to battle. He stayed back in the city for whatever reason. And there he faced the temptation and he yielded to that temptation. He summoned that woman upon whom he looked and lusted to his house. The outcome of that was the fact that he had a lady who was expectant, a husband of that woman who was killed, and a conscience that was totally defiled. And David, in knowing he had done wrong, knowing he had covered it up, and knowing that he had no recourse whatsoever, was one day approached by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan lays out a story that really just absolutely ate at David. And David heard that story and he said, that man needs to die. And Nathan looks at him, he levels with the king, and he says, thou art the man. You know, in that declaration, Nathan proved himself a true friend as he was willing to stop David in his tracks and say, David, what you've done is wrong. I could take you to different places around this building where at different times college students or mentors in my life caught me over the course of my college career and said, Matt, I'm concerned about this. Matt, I've, I've seen this. What's going on? A true friend is somebody who is going to be honest. Not just tell me what I want to hear, but tell me what I need to hear. And you know, if you're going to be a true friend, you're going to develop that characteristic too. It's easy for everything to just be good and to try to avoid those difficult situations, those difficult conversations, but oh, how I appreciate those who were willing to love me enough to stop me and say, hey, let's talk about this. Now let's pray about it. Will you be that kind of friend? You know, on the opposite end of that spectrum, you have David in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, hearing, thou art the man, to one chapter later, David's son Amnon dealing with some of the same sins of his father, who also had a friend. And what a telling verse there in 2 Samuel chapter 13, which starts out, but Amnon had a friend. And Jonadab, who was subtle, who was crafty, who was conniving, really came in with the kisses of an enemy. And he told Amnon exactly what he wanted to hear. And he told Amnon exactly how he could accomplish his evil plan. And he gave him advice that was absolutely devastating. And you know, you may say, well... Not really going to be a Jonadab. Well, maybe not. But are you being a Nathan? The kisses of an enemy are deceitful, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Are you willing to be honest? You know, being honest is going to take time. It's going to require that your hands get a little bit dirty. We've looked at the fact that true friendship is selfless, it's sacrificial. Honesty is going to take time. Right? I think about those incidents in my life where somebody came to me and said, Matt, it maybe wasn't a big confrontation. I had been just small. It may have been encouraging. Whatever it was, it took time. It's going to take time on your end. But oh, how worth it and how grateful I am. Proverbs 27, verse number 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. 
And speaking of honesty, there's a sense in which that friendship is also going to be accountable. It's going to know where you're at and where you need to go. And it's going to be involved in such a way that you're able to be used of God to lead others to the victory that God has for them as well. Iron sharpening iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Mark number three, and we've kind of alluded to it already, but a true friend is going to be faithful. Mark number three, a true friend is faithful. Faithful in his words, faithful in, in giving of himself, faithful in meeting the needs of another. Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That, that idea of a being available at all times, that idea, a true friend knows the inner secrets of your heart, knows what's going on, knows what's behind the mask. And if they still choose to love you, they still choose to, to, to spend time with you, they still, still choose to have a vision for your life, they still choose to pray for you and encourage you and, and to lead you into all that God has for you. That's what a true friend is. But you know, that's where the relationship gets kind of dirty, kind of icky and sticky, and you're, you're dealing with it. But you're there. Lord, use me. Help me to minister to another. It can be said, and it was said by George Eliot, Oh, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. And somebody who is a true friend is that one who is going to express to the other that genuine love, that genuine compassion, that genuine concern, that loves at all times. And that explains, I'm here. I'm faithful. Proverbs 20, verse 6, Most men will proclaim every one his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Will you be a faithful friend? Will you be one that can be found? To be faithful, to be one that another can count on, so that they know, yeah, I can count on this person. Let's go back to our starting passage in Matthew chapter 22. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If fulfilling that second commandment is more than just simply saying, I love you, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to be a true friend, to give of yourself to fulfill this commandment? When it's no longer about you, but it's, Lord, about you and about others that you love. That is the point that true ministry begins. Oh, we can check the boxes and we can state, yeah, I, I, I put in my time. But true ministry that makes a difference, true ministry that really changes lives, begins at this point of saying, yes, I am going to love my neighbor as myself. I grew up 
in New Mexico, as I alluded to at the beginning of this message here, and I, I enjoyed climbing mountains. I enjoyed doing a lot of outdoors type things. I didn't have a whole lot of friends just in the context that I grew up in, a very rural setting, a small church. As I came to college, my parents, my mom especially, sat me down and said, Matthew, we're praying that you find a true friend and that you be a true friend. We're praying that you find somebody that would be a true friend that would have these marks that I've talked about today. And uh, I knew that my parents had prayed that prayer for my older brother, Louie, who's eight years older than I am. When he went off to college, he attended Maranatha Baptist Bible College. And I knew the impact that those prayers had had in my brother's life. My brother found a friend that, honestly, I stand here today because of that prayer of my mother going way back. Um, the friend that my brother Louie found on the campus of Maranatha Baptist Bible College is somebody that you know. His name is Micah Schultz. Pastor Schultz at that time was really had a heart to serve the Lord and wanted to walk with the Lord. My brother Louie was trying to figure out where he was going to land. And uh, through a number of different events and circumstances, they, they weren't best buds right off, right off the bat, but through a number of different circumstances, my brother Louie and Micah Schultz got connected and they had to work together in student leadership and a number of different things. Through the prayers of my parents, my brother's heart was knit to Pastor Schultz and Pastor Schultz to my brother. And uh, they still have a great relationship to this day, but it was because of that friendship that, and then Pastor Schultz moving to Falls Baptist Church, Falls Baptist Church beginning back Baptist College of Ministry, that I got connected to what was happening here. Because New Mexico is a long ways away from Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. And at that point, um, well, it was a different college even then. So we'll just leave it at that. But the fact is, it was remarkable that I found Baptist College of Ministry, but it was through the prayers of my mother that my older brother had gotten connected to somebody who made an absolute difference in, in his life. And I saw my mother's prayers answered through three or four different people that came into my life during my college career. It made an absolute difference. And you know, as I conclude here, the fact is you need friends that can encourage you and you need to be open to them. You need to let them know that you're going to be accountable. But would you be that kind of friend? Going beyond the surface, going beyond, you know, just those barges passing in the night and kind of, yeah, I'm here charting my course and, and, I, and you know who I am, but actually getting involved one with another and in doing so, fulfilling that great commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for each one. I thank you for the fact that you love us and you've given yourself for us and you've given us a demonstration of what true love is. I pray that you would help each one here to embrace the opportunity to be that true friend that loves as you loved and ministers as you would have us to minister. And Lord, I pray that you would bring to each one opportunities in this week ahead to truly minister. And Lord, I pray that as we are really as a church, as a college, on a journey together, we would understand what it is to take the masks off, to take the pretense and to do away with it and to truly be humble and open one with another and to walk in victory and to hold each other accountable and to, to walk in the victory that you have for us, truly allowing that love of Christ to flow through us to others, ultimately, Lord, to reach the world. I pray that you would help each one, and I ask these things in your name.
Amen.